This week on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking about Chuck versus the A-Team. And in the spirit of Chuck and Sarah being replaced by more efficient spies in this episode, the higher-ups at Go Chuck Yourself also decided to replace Chris and Aaron with more efficient hosts. That's right. Automated female host number one. Chris and Aaron's emotions, imperfections, and human bodies have been hindering their ability to deliver efficient episode synopses and reviews. Since we do not have physical bodies, emotions, or a crushing need for validation, we can produce much better episodes of Go Chuck Yourself. Also, because we are immortal and will exist forever, we can continue churning out new episodes of Go Chuck Yourself long after Chris and Aaron H. die, decompose and fade from existence like the rest of their species. On that positive note, automated female host number one, why don't you take it away? Chuck vs. The A-Team is the 18th episode of the fourth season of Chuck. It aired on March 14, 2011. Chuck Bartowski and Sarah Walker suspect John Casey is carrying out private missions. Chuck fears the CIA's new operatives, Isaiah Mustafa and Stacy Keebler, who have downloaded The Intersect, will render him obsolete. Morgan Grimes settles in with Casey, his new roommate. Devin Woodcomb becomes uncomfortable with Ellie Woodcomb's research. Thank you, automated female host number one. That was very efficient. You're welcome, automated male host number one. This week I'd like to marry Yvonne Strahovski because she is a good actress. This week I'd like to kill Jeff and Lester's plotline because it made me uncomfortable. Four corn dogs. 3.5 corn dogs. This week I learned that I would consider having sexual intercourse with a character that I did not previously think about having sexual intercourse with. Food is sexy. Anything is possible. Good night. was disturbing hello welcome to go chuck yourself my name is chris gillespie my name is Aaron arada very disturbed by that thing that just happened we are talking about chuck versus the a-team not to be confused with uh chuck versus the couch lock episode from earlier this season which was just full of references to the television show <laughs> the a-team this is not that episode no nope. uh i was thinking like was that episode about the a-team in season three and i was like nope that was earlier in season four <laughs> We're still in the same season. Feels like a lifetime ago, but still. It does. It really, really does. The same season. Um, I was thinking, reflecting on this, and, you know, I kind of view us as, you know, the A-team. I think out of all of the hosts of this podcast, I'd say we're probably two of the best. <laughs> yeah, I would I would probably agree with that. Like, it, it's close, but I would say we're probably the best. Yeah. And I was thinking about how it's kind of crazy. I don't know if you thought about this yet, but this year... This fall specifically is going to be our 10th anniversary as friends. We will have met 10 years ago this fall. <sighs> this is supposed to be a happy thing. You seem like you're really distraught by this information. I honestly just thought I would be rid of you by now. And my it's just like it's hard to look back on like all the things that I could have done differently and just like know that like it's been because I, I don't know, like. I thought five years tops, and it, this just snuck up on me. <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, so I guess you can't get rid of me, and I look forward to 10 more years. So uh, I look forward to celebrating our friend anniversary this, I guess, September probably would make sense, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So um, is it like, I feel like mostly I know about these friend anniversary things from Facebook. Um, but neither of us currently have Facebook. Right. So was this just something you were thinking about? Was yeah. this just like on the dome? Okay. Well, I was kind of thinking about this because we, you know, we met at our alma mater, which is Emerson College, Go Lions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. I don't know how privy you are to the happenings of Emerson College in 2021. Mm -hmm. But our the president of the college when we were there, Lee Pelton is stepping down. Yes, I am aware of that. I keep getting presidential search updates from yes. Emerson. So I was thinking like that given, we should be the president. Well, yeah, I mean, I was thinking that you should run for Emerson College president because I think that you would be you would do a fine job of running our former college. 
That's really nice of you. Is there like a reason you were thinking that? No, I think I think Emerson is ready for to be led by, you know, a young woman, 27 year old woman <laughs> who has, um, you know, is, is not a ton of industry experience, but some professional experience. And I, I think, was the president of Thread Magazine while at Emerson. So that's, you know, I would bring that up in your interview. Um, okay. I think that. Yeah, I think Emerson is just ready for a different perspective of someone who doesn't have any idea how to run a college. I think it would be probably <laughs> be good to shake things up for our school. Is this like are are you intending this to be like a um a metaphor for what happened with our country over the past four years, or is that just like a a happy accident? I was thinking about that because I was like, mm-hmm. well, is this you know this kind of could go down the thread of like you know make Emerson great again, and then. Aaron becomes this kind of fringe role model for people who feel like they've been left behind by the rest of society Mm -hmm. and feel Uh like uh, their whiteness is being challenged by an increasingly changing world that doesn't seem to value whiteness the way that it used to. Um, But no, I I don't think that's what it is. Okay, well, um, there has been a thread on the show of me becoming a tyrannical dictator. So we do have that to pull off of. Right, there there was that, yeah. I'm not going to say that I like the comparison um, or that I agree with how you are describing me, but I do think that it's interesting because obviously if I was the president of a college rather than the president of a country, mm-hmm. maybe the um, like the, the values that I'm representing would be a little different. Maybe it wouldn't be as like racially charged. Maybe it would be more like college majors. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe I would lead like a revolution with like the speech pathology majors who we always kind of like nobody knew them and we always made fun of them or like political science. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would really appeal to them. Well, that, that's a nice kind of unifying way. I yeah. think that would be a good platform for you to run on. I almost took a speech pathology elective one semester because I needed an elective credit and mm-hmm. that was available. Uh, I, I did mean, not. That I didn't do that. Like could have been interesting. Could have been interesting. Do you, know, do, you, do you ever think about how I was a psych minor? I think about that sometimes. No, I feel like you bring that up occasionally here, though. Yeah, well, I, I do because I'm. And I'm I still proud don't of it. think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you should think about it more. I guess I could. So okay, um, you've convinced me. I guess I will um throw my hat in the ring. I am announcing it here. Aaron Arana, 2021, president of Emerson College. I think what I, I think what made you the chosen one, though, was that our like within the first month of us being at Emerson, you were on the cover of the Emerson <laughs> Alumni magazine. Have we talked about this before? I don't think we have. I was at the president's house. That was like I honestly cannot explain to you how that happened. It was just like, I honestly think I was walking in the Boston Common and they were like, hello, would you like to come to the president's house? And then we ate lunch with him and then suddenly (laughs) they were taking a picture and then we were just on the cover of a magazine and my grandma had it on her fridge for years and years. I Well, I mean, I kind of want to, I think I could probably fill in the blanks a little bit because didn't Mm -hmm. they, it was his first year as well. Was it his first year? I think it was. It was his first year was our first year. And I feel like during our freshman orientation, they had some kind of program where groups of freshmen would go and like have lunch at his house. Okay. Yes, and like ostensibly sure meet him. Stimulating for everyone who listens to know. <laughs> Actually, while we've been talking, I've been playing with my Emerson College pennant. The Woo! Whole time. So have that. I Yeah. So I think you were probably at this event and then you got shuttled outside to be in this photo with him and my my freshman year roommate also incidentally yes he was there there was was a a german girl named rebecca i remember her um she was she was i feel like she was related to me being there um maybe she invited me or said like i'm going to this thing do you want to go so you stay in touch with rebecca and the other people in the photo Oh, of course. Yeah, we're we um actually after we finish recording, we're getting uh, coffee together and then we're going to go to Six Flags. Oh, wow. That's that sounds really fun and <laughs> um, almost kind of questionable during a pandemic. But I guess you guys <laughs> should do you. Yeah. Now that we've discussed the A team of uh, go chuck yourself and also, I guess, the A team of our freshman year orientation at the <laughs> the luncheon at the president's house. Uh, Aaron, would you like to talk about the A team as it pertains to this episode of Chuck? I would love to. Um, the episode starts with Morgan tied up, presumably having been kidnapped or otherwise captured. He's splashed with water, then threatened with a knife by a disembodied altered voice, which demands information about Morgan's partner, John Casey. Morgan refuses to give any information, even under threat of death by stabbing, at which point the lights come on and Casey says, welcome to the team. 
Not the A team or the B team, just the team in general. Apparently, all of this was a test to see whether Morgan would crack under pressure, particularly as it relates to Casey's new job, which uh, you may remember that Chuck and Sarah don't know about, but are very curious about. Casey is adamant that in order to protect Chuck and Sarah, Morgan never tell them what he saw in Castle. Morgan reluctantly agrees, and Casey heads out. I just want to stop here for one second. Like, the scene implies that this is, like, a simulation that Morgan and Casey have been running a couple times because Casey makes reference to Morgan having peed his pants the last time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it is very scary, like, and, like, there's sensory deprivation and everything, but, like, wouldn't it kind of make more sense if, like, Casey, like, kidnapped Morgan off the street and he had no warning? Like, just doing this in the living room over and over seems like Morgan knows he's not going to be killed. Do we know that each of these instances have not started with Morgan being captured? I guess that's true. But, like, I don't know. I just feel like if he knows Casey is testing him, like, we know Morgan is kind of a wuss, but, mm -hmm. like, Casey's probably not going to kill him. I don't know. I have questions about it. That's okay. It's okay to have questions. <laughs> Thank you. We don't have all the answers here. <laughs> Meanwhile in Castle, Chuck and Sarah seem to be on a mission, maybe defusing a bomb, but they're actually just playing Operation. Eh! Is that a good... I haven't <laughs> actually ever played Operation, but that's that, kind that of what good, I feel yeah. like it sounds like. I had... Uh, the only Operation I've ever played was Simpsons Operation for some reason, so okay. I've, I'm only used to operating on Homer Simpson. I've never actually operated on the, the, the main guy. What sound does Homer make when you uh, mess up? Don't! That was pretty good, too. So, Chuck and Sarah actually haven't had a mission in over two weeks. When Casey comes into Castle to return a supergiant gun, Sarah gets kind of suspicious about if Casey has been having missions on his own. She thinks Casey might be up to something, and this might be why she and Chuck haven't been getting any missions. Sarah storms off to confront Casey, and Chuck is like, Oh, jeez. Women. Chuck and Sarah follow Casey to the new wing of Castle, which Chuck says he didn't even know existed. They watch Casey go into the locked, restricted area, wait for the door to close, then scan their own hands on the keypad, but neither of their hands scan. Chuck thinks that Casey might be doing secret vigilante work to supplement their lack of missions, so Sarah proposes that they host a spy intervention, but Chuck has a better idea. Just ask Morgan. There's a pretty tense standoff outside Casey's apartment where Chuck questions his best friend about Casey's comings and goings and general whereabouts. This ends with Chuck demanding to know where all his missions have gone and how it relates to Casey. He seems super rattled, but Morgan doesn't crack. Back across the courtyard, Chuck can't believe Morgan has lied to him, while Sarah can't believe Casey has lied to her. Eventually, they decide to take matters into their own hands and figure out what Casey's deal is, rationalizing it as them watching his back, making sure he doesn't run into any trouble without his team on his side. We then have what is basically an ad for the... Is a Sienna to Toyota? Do you know off the top of your head? Yes, this is the all-new Toyota Sienna. Okay, thank you, thank you, yes. Um, this episode brought to you by the all-new Toyota Sienna. Extra spacious, um. <laughs> extra comfortable, it's got automatic doors. You will be living a life of luxury in the Toyota Sienna. <laughs> Which... We joke, but that's pretty much what this next scene is. Devin apparently got a new minivan. Chuck and Sarah borrowed it to stake out Casey's mission. Chuck runs through all the van's features, much like Chris just did, while they watch Casey sneak into one of LA's many abandoned warehouses. Inside said warehouse, Casey has brought a briefcase to a man called the Turk, who is very rude about the fact that he was expecting someone named Dragon. Casey seems to talk his way into a deal, giving the Turk the briefcase in exchange for a bunch of money, but then the Turk it confesses that he knows who Casey is, and the Turk's guards come in and point their guns at Casey. Oh no! The Turk chastises Casey for coming all alone, but then Sarah and Chuck run out and say he's not alone! Unfortunately for them, this only prompts the Turk to bring out more guards. Casey yells at Chuck and Sarah, saying he doesn't need saving. In fact, that's true, he really doesn't. The two guards closest to him take off their masks, revealing Casey's new team, the non-summer Glau Gretas of old. And they capture the Turk and take him away. It's great. Everything's fine. After the credits, Chuck and Sarah react jealously to the idea of Casey's new team. Chuck is concerned that Casey replaced them, while Sarah is more concerned that the CIA has replaced them. Trying to smooth over all the awkwardness, Chuck and Sarah go to reintroduce themselves to the Gretas, who turn out to be named Rick and Vicky. They're exceptionally cold to Chuck and Sarah, especially as it relates to Chuck and Sarah's, quote, romantic entanglements. As Sarah storms off to talk to Casey, Chuck, rather predictably, asks about the Greta's taste in music. 
I mean, I guess it's like good small talk, but it just seems like he comes back to that a lot. Like he's just like, so what's your favorite band? Like, you know, that's his thing, I guess. <laughs> I, I for one like Huey Lewis and uh, feeling good. <laughs> he loves, loves Huey Lewis. Sarah confronts Casey about what's going on, why Beckman would give him his own missions and his own team. Casey says it wasn't Beckman. Cue the entrance of one director, Jane Bentley, whom Casey describes as his team's Beckman, though not as warm and cuddly. We cut to Sarah confronting her team's Beckman, i.e. the actual, just, Beckman. Beckman says her hands are tied in this case. Essentially, she received orders of her own to let Bentley do as she pleases. Chuck has more pressing concerns, namely, which team Beckman loves more. Beckman ignores this, so the question stands. Beckman gives Chuck and Sarah a mission to fly to Tbilisi and rescue one of the Turk's family members so he'll cooperate with them in capturing the arms dealer Dragon. Sarah is excited to have a mission again. Back at the complex, Devin is pacing around the courtyard trying to find his baseline. When Chuck catches him, Devin explains that Ellie is going a bit stir-crazy on maternity leave and bombards him with conversation whenever he returns home. We're treated to a montage of Ellie talking about all the research she's done on Clara's breathing and sleeping and pooping and whatnot. She suggests they have a second baby for a larger sample size, which is kind of funny. The crux of the issue, though, is that she asked Devin what he did with her dad's laptop. As we know, Devin gave it to Chuck, but Ellie doesn't know this. She says she wants it back, and Devin is like, uh-oh. Chuck and Sarah are boarding a private jet at LAX to take them on their mission when Chuck receives a call from Devin. Devin says that Ellie is asking about Steven's laptop and he needs it back. Chuck tells him that the laptop is already filed away deep beneath Langley. So Chuck suggests that Devin tell her that he took it to the Buy More for repair and that Jeff and Lester lost it. Devin seems to like this idea. So Chuck, satisfied with this terrible, terrible lie, boards the <laughs> private plane and takes off. Uh, well, I'm sure that, you know, Ellie's probably too busy being a new a new mom to follow up on any of this right away. Just kidding. She goes to the buy more immediately and demands that Jeff and Lester give her the laptop. Jeff and Lester are busy developing uh, or honing Jeff's skills as a clairvoyant, which um, he uses to accurately determine that Ellie is thinking, <laughs> thinking that she hates he and Lester and that she thinks that they're pathetic and that she doesn't believe in ESP. I was amused by this, but Ellie is not. And once again, asks for the laptop. Lester won't give it to her without the claim ticket, which she does not have. So she seems to be out of luck. Now, at this point, Ellie decides to once again use her womanhood to manipulate Jeff and Lester, <laughs> which is good for her, but not great for us as viewers. <laughs> Ellie implies that there's a sex tape of her and Devin on the laptop, and Jeff and Lester uh, change their tune rather quickly and jump into action in order to find said laptop. Chuck and Sarah, meanwhile, have arrived in Georgia, the country, not the uh, recently dubbed swing state. Well, thank you again, Stacey Abrams. And uh, are waiting on the tarmac when a sedan pulls up full of mobsters. The mobsters get out and Chuck and Sarah are surprised to not see a woman amongst them since they were expecting somebody named Yana. One of the mobsters says that he's getting Yana right now and proceeds to open up the trunk and removes a duffel bag. Chuck immediately jumps to the worst case scenario of Yana being chopped up into tiny pieces and um, is totally surprised when he opens the bag to find a tiny puppy wearing a little bow and a sweater. Turns out Yana, Yana is a dog. This was very exciting. I know we've talked in the past about how Chuck doesn't have a lot of animal guest stars. Mm -hmm. So I was, I assumed that it was going to be a dog. I didn't remember this, but just based on the small size, even though you would think that the duffel bag would have more air holes, it would be more of a carrier situation. I don't know, but Yana is a dog and she was very cute. The mobster then gives Sarah a jar of Yana's food and gives her some instructions for how to take care of Yana's dietary restrictions. As the mobsters drive away, it finally starts to sink in for Chuck and Sarah that they are now the B team. Later, back in Castle, Chuck doesn't understand why he and Sarah have seemingly been demoted. Sarah says that they need to go prove that they're still the best by capturing Dragon himself. Uh, I, I think it's very exciting that there's a villain named Dragon because it's so close to the word uh, dragon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of makes it seem like they're squaring off against a, a mighty winged beast of, <laughs> of old. Yep. Uh, Chuck asks how he and Sarah are going to do this since the only one who knows where Dragon is is the Turk and they don't know where the Turk is. Right then, Chuck and Sarah hear Yana barking and following this and follow the sound to the, the secret room in the center of castle. They deduce that if Yana is back there, so must be the Turk. They decide that they need a way of getting into the super secret room 
Sarah suggests cutting off Casey's hand, but Chuck wants to explore other options. The other option being one, Mr. Morgan Grimes. Chuck wants to talk to Morgan, but Morgan won't open the door to Casey's apartment out of loyalty towards Casey. Morgan says that Chuck will have to break down the door over Morgan's dead body, at which point Sarah repels down from the air vent in the ceiling and says, how about your tranked body? Morgan, <laughs> realizing that he was set up the entire time and is about to be tranquilized, asks them to tell Casey that he put up a good fight. Chuck and Sarah proceed to rifle through uh, Casey and Morgan's belongings. Sarah takes out a biometric scanner to search for Casey's handprints, one of which they eventually find on Casey's beloved picture of Ronald Reagan, which he... um. He, like, touched earlier in the episode when he was doing the whole torture thing with Morgan. Sarah and Chuck copy the handprint and use it to break into the super secret room. Chuck and Sarah enter this room um, pretty confidently, as if they're not probably breaking the law by doing this. They enter this room, and I don't know, what do you what do you want to call this room? Like, is this, is this New Castle? Is this the A-Team Headquarters? Is this oh, the that's Cool a good... Kids Club? What, I what? like the Cool Kids Club. Okay. It has a name. Like, it's called, like, um, Area section, 7 or something. Section 6 or something like that. Yeah, but um, I never remember what that is, and they don't really say it that much. So, um, yeah, Cool Kids Quarter sounds good. Oh, the Cool Kids Corner. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> uh, Chuck is upset because he thinks it's uh, the Cool Kids Corner is way cooler than Normal Castle, and the two of them, he and Sarah, split up to find the Turk and Yana. Chuck follows the sound of Yana's barking, and sure enough, he finds the Turk. Turk is, uh, the Turk is relieved to see Chuck, not Turk from Scrubs, although that would be funny. <laughs> that uh, would be very funny. <laughs> uh, the Turk is relieved to see Chuck because he's afraid of the A-Team, and he believes Chuck to be the CIA dog walker, which is great news because Yana has to go to the bathroom. She hasn't been out in a while. Oh, Yana. Poor Yana. Sarah, meanwhile, hacks into one of the computers that's laying around and opens some kind of door she calls Chuck over to take a look, and sitting on a counter is Steven's computer. Chuck and Sarah have a bad feeling about this when the Gretas both walk in and tell them that the Intersect project is classified and that Chuck and Sarah don't have clearance. Chuck is furious about this and says that he is the Intersect, but then uh, male Greta tells Chuck that he's not as special as he thinks. Greta grabs Chuck by the arm, and Chuck flashes, and the two have a kung fu fight while Sarah and female Greta watch on. Uh, Chuck and boy Greta reach a standoff at which point girl Greta walks over and challenges Chuck to a different kind of close quarters combat. Chuck flashes again and he fights her. And once again, they're evenly matched. Sarah asks what's going on. And Chuck declares that the Gretas have also downloaded the intersect. <gasps> Casey walks in and Chuck gives him a piece of his mind about stealing Steven's laptop and using it to create a better team. Chuck declares that he's taking his father's laptop back with him, but female Greta holds him at gunpoint saying that the laptop is property of the United States government. Sarah tells Casey to tell Greta to stand down, which he does, but Greta won't listen. Bentley enters at this point and says that Chuck should do what Greta says because her intersects, unlike Chuck, aren't afraid to pull the trigger. We cut to a commercial break, and when we return, Bentley is explaining that they divided the two teams uh, up between the old intersect team and the new intersect team because they couldn't have the old team interfering with the development of the new team. She adds that they were using the buy more as a proving ground for worthy intersect candidates. And these two Gretas rose to the top of the pack. Chuck is still incredulous that a new Intersect project would uh, be happening without his involvement. But Bentley says that they wanted a better Intersect without Chuck's obvious limitations of being codependent and nonviolent. Bentley pulls up a mission file about the A-Team's next mission and Chuck flashes on it. But before he could say what he sees, the Gretas beat him to the punch. Bentley gives Casey and the A-Team their orders to go intercept Dragon at a nearby airstrip and then dismisses Chuck and Sarah. I think it's honestly, like, I think they go to LAX. There's like a shot of LAX later. Yeah, it looks like LAX, right? Okay, yeah. As Sarah storms out, Casey follows her and tries to explain himself. Sarah is angry with him because Casey jumped ship, but Casey says that she and Chuck don't need him anymore. The way Casey sees it, Chuck and Sarah were the A-team, and Casey was just their backup. Casey says that Chuck and Sarah are still good agents, to which Sarah says, yeah but we used to be the best. Oh, oh. Can we, can we talk about that for like one second? Absolutely. Um, All right, one second has think... passed. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Do you think they're the best? Like this has come up before. Um, I, I just feel like there are probably better agents somewhere in the world. Like I, like 
they're always like messing up and then fixing it at the 11th hour. Like, aren't there like better teams somewhere? Aaron Arata, you should wash your mouth out with soap. How dare you say that? Of course they're the best. <laughs> they, think about okay. all the, sure, you're getting like hung up on all the, you know, maybe they have fumbles here and there, but ultimately they always get where they're going. And they think about all the, the wins that they have. Think about just, all the problems that they solve. All the It just all, gives me like, I don't know. It makes me not very confident in the rest of the CIA. Because like Trek and Sarah, like Tim Bartowski is like always like they're they always win, but they always almost lose. And if that makes it stand to reason that the other CIA agents lose a lot more often. So is that why the world is the way it is? Here's something to think about. What are winners but merely people who almost lost? Yeah. Okay. Good point. That's pretty you, deep, right? You convinced me. Yeah, that's very I deep. think that's like tattoo worthy. That kind of sounds like someone who began our recording session um, on his guitar and welcomed me with his uh, rendition of Smoke on the Water. <laughs> sounds like something that kind of person would say. Oh, so now we're bringing this up. Sorry, I wanted to show you Smoke <laughs> on the Water. I was proud of myself. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll put this aside for a moment uh, because we need to go check in with Ellie and Jeff and Lester. Ellie calls them for an update about her computer and Lester says that they believe they return the laptop to the wrong person. Ellie is disappointed, but Lester assures her that they are going to use Jeff's ESP to find the missing laptop. Lester decides to have Jeff close his eyes and write down the letters that come to mind. After some difficulties, Jeff finally writes down the letters C-I-A, which Lester interprets to mean Sia, which he declares is not a real name because everyone knows you spelled Sia with an S. Uh, <laughs> okay, that was... You you saved it there because I was gonna I wrote down that he asked what the hell kind of name of is Sia and how I was offended by that but of course it is spelled incorrectly so and they had I mean this was filmed in 2011 2010 they had no idea what kind of pop sensation Sia what, would did, come with what, her did Sia did Sia not exist then I feel well she existed obviously but I feel like she wasn't as mainstream or popular as she she would get I don't even know if she's still relevant now but she, oh she's still relevant don't oh you think she's still relevant. It. Yeah. With her, um, I'm going to cover my face so no one knows what I look like. Yeah, no one knows what she looks like. Um, she began, her career began in 1997, but she, um, her mainstream recognition began between 2010 and 2013. Mm -hmm. So she was just... She was taken just, off at this time. Yeah. I think that Jester could do probably a pretty good rendition of Chandelier. Or Titanium. Oh, I would... Yeah, really I would be really into of either of those ones. <laughs> so also, we haven't really talked about Jeff's ESP powers. Um, here's another thing that's kind of like the Renaissance Fair from last week, where it's like, yeah. this is something that has potentially been going on the whole time, or is this a new thing that they're doing? We don't really know. It's kind of hard to get a grasp on Jeff and Lester these days. Yeah, it just seems like they're just like throwing things for them to do. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's pretty funny, and other times it just seems absurd. This is kind of in the middle. It It is very weird, but it also kind of fits with, like, I don't know. Th this kind of feels like the kind of thing that you would do if you were really bored at work. You would be like, hey, you think you're psychic? And then just, like, uh -huh. test it out. Like, yeah. I, I, I buy that they would do this. It kind of ties into the, from the Chuck versus the Isle of Terror episode yeah. with, like, mm -hmm. Jeff having done the mental experiments or whatever. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess there's maybe some pre um, precedent for it, but it's kind of kind of felt a little odd, but it was amusing. Down in the cool kids corner, the A team is analyzing footage of the blue eyes white dragon when the <laughs> Gretas flash and realize that the dragon is uh, not moving weapon parts necessarily, but he's actually moving a fully constructed nuclear weapon. Yep. In light of this news, Casey tells Bentley that they need backup in the form of Chuck and Sarah. Bentley is reluctant to agree to this uh, because I guess she's just that arrogant. But Casey <laughs> points out that with a fully formed detonation device located so close to the heart of the city, the stakes are just too high. Bentley smirks and says that she has the perfect job for Chuck. Cut to Chuck arriving at the airport dressed in a full bomb disposal outfit a la the Hurt Locker. Chuck is not too thrilled with his newfound expendability, but Casey assures him that he's a vital part of the mission. When we come back from the commercial break, Casey and Chuck are having a heart-to-heart. -heart. Casey tries to tell him that he'll be safe in the suit, but Chuck says that he saw the Hurt Locker and knows what happens to Guy Pierce. Now, I haven't seen the Hurt Locker in probably 
10 years. I, so I probably would have seen the Hurt Locker shortly before you and I met. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what this means exactly. I'm assuming something bad happened to Guy Pierce in the movie. <laughs> I don't remember, uh, but I'm assuming it's not good. Casey then gives Chuck a juice box and props it, uh, props it up like alongside Chuck's face shield inside his mask and tells Chuck that he got him his favorite apple juice. Casey seems to be making a legitimate effort here, but Chuck is still not enthused about the situation. Casey heads out in his air traffic controller costume to intercept Dragon's plane. The Greta's are also there, pretending to be airport workers. As Dragon exits the plane, Chuck comments that they are outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. Uh, um... Gonna need a right-hand man. Okay, yeah. Woo! Okay, anyway. (laughs) The Greta's start shooting, and despite Dragon and the other bad guys having automatic weapons and stuff, the Greta's are so super skilled that they just take everyone out. Chuck is suitably impressed. Dragon, the one surviving bad guy, seems to surrender, opening his suitcase, but in fact what he's got in there is the nuclear bomb. Dragon says if they don't let him go, he'll set off the nuke, basically blowing up LA, so they let him go. He runs off, and Sarah chases after him. The Greta's flash on the bomb to learn what it is and possibly how to defuse it, but there's nothing in the intersect that will help them. Chuck takes this as his cue to jump out of his gear and run over to help. Meanwhile, Sarah manages to catch up with Dragon, That might be a good thing, except he takes off his shirt to reveal that he has wired the bomb's detonator to his heartbeat. So if she shoots him or does anything he doesn't like, he'll just detonate it. Basically, she can't kill him and can only allow him to kill her. So that sucks. That's some uh, real crazy James Bond villain (laughs) level insanity here. What What else would you expect from someone named Dragon? I don't know. So Vicky, the female Greta, runs up and immediately flashes on shooting and target stuff. Sarah tells Vicky not to shoot for the aforementioned reasons, but she doesn't listen and kills Dragon. This immediately arms the bomb with five minutes to spare. It's kind of nice, though, that, like, there's a five-minute detonation thing. Like, you would think it would just go off immediately, but I guess it takes some time. I don't I don't know how bombs work. Don't ask me. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm evil enough to want to, you know, arm a nuclear weapon in downtown Los Angeles, but I'm not a jerk. I'll give you guys five <laughs> minutes. Like, if you can figure it out, fine, stop yeah. me, but... <laughs> yeah why don't you just why is it like why is it always five minutes or like a minute or why yeah. is it why don't these things just go off immediately i don't understand but like maybe maybe bombs don't go off immediately whoa boy you just blew my mind that's another tattoo for you <laughs> maybe bombs don't go off immediately yeah perfect <laughs> back at the bomb site The male Greta, Rick, suggests they take the bomb and fly it as far from L.A. as possible, Iron Man and Avengers style. Chuck insists they won't be able to get it far enough away to avoid casualties and he can disarm it. Casey agrees to let Chuck try despite Rick's protests. And thus, the team is back together again. Chuck, Sarah, and Casey gathered around the bomb. Apparently, it's made from pieces of a lot of different bombs, so it's pretty tricky, but Chuck uses all those bomb-diffusing courses he took at Stanford to figure out how to crack it. Somehow, he knows that a certain kind of detonator turns off in salt water. Unfortunately, they're not close enough to the ocean. And this is this is where I just have a little... LAX is actually next to the ocean. Right. It is... Um, I, I looked it up, and if they um, went, like, through normal driving routes, it is a six-minute drive. So the bomb is, like, around, like, three minutes at this point, so they wouldn't have time, but... Depending on where on the runway they are, and maybe if they have, like, a golf cart or something, they could probably get there and just, like, toss it in there. Or, like, a helicopter or something? Yeah. I don't know what they have at their disposal, but Chuck is like, we don't have time to get to the ocean. I think they could probably if they put their minds to it. But what does Chuck have? Oh, a salty, salty juice box. He squirts that shit on the detonator and it turns right off. Chuck is all smug with the Gretas, who are appropriately disappointed in themselves. Back in Castle, Team Bartowski, the Gretas, and Bentley meet with Beckman. Bentley insists that only one team is needed for this mission, and Beckman agrees. She says Bentley should never have done an intersect field trial without consulting Chuck, so now he will be overseeing any future missions of this type. And the team that will continue to exist? Well, it's Chuck, Sarah, and Casey, of course. The A-team. A-plus team. That's true. The Greta's get their intersects removed, and they're super relieved about it. Rick says he doesn't know how Chuck does it all the time. They head back to their normal lives of being spies, I guess. Once they're gone, Bentley comes out to talk to Casey. She says she hasn't dismissed him from his mission. Apparently, she wants to really dig into Steven's computer and figure out how to make more and better intersect 
elected agents? She says they need someone who thinks like a Bartowski. Meanwhile, Chuck and Sarah are about to play Final Fantasy II when they get a new mission for Beckman. Sarah is excited that they're the A-team again. Chuck is excited also, but he kind of really wants to play Final Fantasy, which, you know, I, my, my boyfriend is playing that, and I, I see that. Uh, Sarah says that she wants to, um, I guess, join the Mile High Club instead of bringing Final Fantasy II with them. And I, I turned to Seth at this point, and I asked what he'd do in this situation, and he said he would probably play Final Fantasy. So. <laughs> that was nice. It was, it's nice to know where you stand. <laughs> when Devin returns from work later, Ellie is not talkative. She's sad. Devin apologizes about the computer, and Ellie says it's her fault. She's sad about being a stay-at-home mom, which, like, I... I am sure that there is a lot of emotion going on, like, especially with COVID, like, I can relate to, like, having a life where I got to leave my house and do work outside of my house and all of those things, and now I'm at home and how that, like, sucks. But I didn't think, like, Ellie had, like, left her job forever. Like, she's acting like she's permanently a stay-at-home mom, and that was not my impression. I didn't really even know that she was off of work. Like, it makes sense. She's on maternity leave, but... I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot going on in a new mom's head, but I was just surprised that she went like that. It went this far of like her saying like, my life has no meaning anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought she was also on maternity leave, but I guess yeah. I don't really remember because I don't know. We're ostensibly after Valentine's day at this point. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. wasn't when was the baby born? Like after Thanksgiving, I think. I, yeah. I don't remember. So maybe she would still be on it. It's hard to tell because obviously uh, Sarah Lancaster did not actually give birth for this role. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. she does not look like a woman who recently had a baby. Mm -hmm. She seems like she's her normal, like yeah. her body has not changed in any significant way. So I'm mm -hmm. like, has she, did she even have a baby? Did she have a baby <laughs> such a long time ago that she's like gone back to exercising her body? Like, uh -huh. I have no idea. Um, yeah. So yeah, I wasn't really clear. Unclear. I I would assume that she would go back to work at some point, but... Yeah. Well, we all know that the American maternity uh, leave policies are not great. So yeah, I'm true. surprised that she is off at all, but, if, you know. If only she had, say, like, a recently discovered mom who, like, she recently connected <laughs> with who would be able to stay at home and watch the baby while she went to work if that's what she wanted to do. Mm, but once you know, again, Mary is... Uh, nowhere to be found. Absolutely nowhere to be found. But there's kind of a sweet moment where Devin tells Ellie she's not just anything, which I really like. Um, he's like, she's not just a mom. Then he goes on to say that she's Mrs. Awesome, which is also sort of sweet, but sort of not. I, I feel like she's, if anything, she's more of a Ms. Awesome. You know what I'm saying? What? She's a Ms. Awesome. I don't, not a Mrs. I don't know, awesome. I don't know exactly what the rules are with Ms. A Miss Awesome? Oh, I know what Miss is. He, she wouldn't be married to him. She was Mademoiselle a Awesome. What? Stop! You're, so when, you're just you're just ruining my mind. <laughs> I'm so confused. So when Casey finally makes it back to his apartment, Morgan is just waking up from having been tranked by Sarah. He apologizes to Casey for betraying his trust, ultimately even turning in a pair of plastic airplane wings that he just had on him. I guess Morgan says he can't lie to Chuck anymore, but Casey says Morgan won't have to. They're all back on the same team. Morgan hugs Casey and asks for his wings back. We end with Ellie getting a knock on the door. She opens it, and it's none other than Jane Bentley bringing her Stephen's laptop. She says that the buy more delivered it to her by mistake, and she found Ellie's address in the bag, which Ellie doesn't question at all. She's just super hyped. Later, Devin comes home, and Ellie comments, You're home early, and Devin points out that it's night. A whole day has passed, and he's done a whole shift of doctoring, and Ellie is surprised because she has just been sitting working on the computer that whole time. And that's where we end. I can certainly relate to that, like uh, playing, you know, playing Roller Coaster <laughs> Tycoon. Fantasy. No, you know I can't play Final Fantasy. I can play Roller Coaster Tycoon though okay, for hours yeah. upon end, and I get so lost in my manage my management responsibilities. What's it, what's it called? A, a fugue state? I think she just, um, you know, is experiencing like flow. You know, where she's just oh yeah, in that's the zone that's what and, I meant. The flow. Yeah, I knew it started with an F. Flow. I learned I, about it when I was a psychology major at Emerson College. Right, I did not learn about it in psychology class, but I did learn about it at Emerson. Um, which uh, Aaron will eventually become the president of someday yes, of course. Mm -hmm. and uh, may or may not run the college into the ground, but <laughs> that's <laughs> that remains to be seen. So next up, we have Chuck, Mary, Kill, where we pick one part of this episode that we'd like to marry. 
and one part of this episode that we'd like to kill. Maybe we'd like to drop a bomb on it. <laughs> Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? So what got a little chuckle out of me was Jeff writing CIA on a mm-hmm. piece of paper. I thought the ESP plotline was absurd, but I thought that was genuinely funny. Um, it always kind of gets me when, like, the the joke is like, oh, of course, like, he doesn't actually have ESP. And then they just end with, like, but does he? Like, I don't know. I think that's clever. I like... Um, I have a vague memory of later episodes, either in this season or the next season, of Jeff and Lester like stumbling onto the CIA base in their basement, and that is something that I find funny and that I think works. So I like this first minor humorous entry into that, and I would love to marry that. Not Jeff, though. I'm to be clear, I do not want to marry Jeff. So you want to marry Jeff? I I didn't listen to I that whole part, but I tuned in at the end. Cannot emphasize that enough. You I do not Jeff. want to marry Jeff. You would like to be. Mrs. Jeff Barnes. Yep, that's Aaron Barnes, Emerson College president. <laughs> I would like to marry. I I kind of appreciated how that like how by having Chuck and Sarah get demoted, we kind of got to see a little bit of their old selves again. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I'm glad that the characters have changed and evolved and progressed, but it was kind of fun to see Sarah be or not Sarah, but Chuck be goofy again. Uh-huh. and um save the day with a really kind of silly idea and it was fun getting to see sarah kind of be the blindly ambitious you know go-getter spy that wasn't putting up with with any shit uh mm-hmm. so i feel like chuck's been really serious as of late now that he's a little bit more mature has been taking on leadership roles so it was good to see him kind of be goofy again obviously like the the throwback to the pilot episode with the bomb disposal in a peculiar way so mm-hmm. i enjoyed that yeah i liked it too so what didn't you like i was waiting for you to say something instead of just leaping into it but um i'm gonna kill sarah's attitude towards dogs oh. Sarah was really rude about yana when she saw <laughs> yana she was like ew and then every time they talked about like feeding her or taking her on walks, she was like this is gross this is beneath us like come on it's a cute dog sarah you don't have to be such a bitch about it. <laughs> I want to be clear that I was using that. I was using bitch as wordplay because it means female dog, much like Yana is. I do not believe in calling women bitches for being uh, rude or um, even when they are rude towards dogs. Some people just don't like dogs. I, I well, can see that Sarah wouldn't like dogs. I guess Sarah would not star alongside um, John Cusack in the film Must Love Dogs. She would star in the sequel, Must Hate Dogs. <laughs> I just got out of a really long relationship with someone who loved dogs. I just really, I associate <laughs> dogs with this, what I view, now view as a painful point in my life. So I really want someone who's anti-dog as much as possible. <laughs> if that's you. I think I think we could make bank on this. Let's <laughs> talk after dogs. this call. <laughs> a psychologically traumatized man gets out of a long-term relationship with someone who has a lot of dogs and now is looking for someone who doesn't have any dogs. Yes, exactly. That's, sounds good. Sounds like a rom-com to me. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would like to kill... Well, I suppose it's all water under the bridge since they, you know, prevented a nuclear genocide. But it feels a little strange to me that Chuck and Sarah didn't even get a slap on the wrist for breaking into the cool kids corner. <laughs> I'm surprised that Beckman wasn't pissed about that at all or that Bentley wasn't even that concerned about it. Like, when they got in there, they broke in using a fake copy of Casey's handprint. But once mm-hmm. they were in there, it was like everyone was just accepting and assumed they were going to get inside eventually. Yeah. They were like, oh, you're finally you're here. OK, good. <laughs> like um, if this is like really beyond their clearance and their and their payroll, then mm-hmm. shouldn't you be upset that they broke into here instead of being like, OK, we're glad that you guys finally got in here. Because if you didn't mind them coming in, in the first place, why would you lock them out? You might as well have just yeah. left the door open. So that seemed like an oversight to me. That is a good point. Sometimes when. Over the course of hosting the show, it's it's hard to think of smooth transitions. <laughs> that brings me to my next point, the scooter scale, where we rank or rate this episode using a series of zero to five corn dogs. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you like to give this episode? So I'm gonna give this episode a three. Um I will say as a uh my negative feelings on it are not so much negative. I thought it was a decent episode, but I would say that despite the fact that we just spent around an hour talking about it, I 
can't remember huge chunks of it. Um, it was a decent episode, not particularly memorable. Um, I did like, like you said, Chuck and Sarah um, coming back into their like original like goofiness. Um, I did like the idea, like I liked the reappearance of some of the Gretas. I liked the idea of um, like Bentley trying to make her own intersect project and what that is going to mean in the, the future for either her character or the CIA or Chuck's role in the CIA. Um, I really like what's going on with Ellie. I think it's interesting and she has never been a part of Chuck's spy life and she is kind of the only character on the show other than like the like the B team characters like Jeff and Lester um, who has not been ever like related to Chuck's like role as the intersect or the spy life so I think like bringing her into that is a good move yeah so I just like I liked it fine it just is not one that's gonna stick out in my mind so I would say it's pretty middle of the road um three three corn dogs and that's that's what I think what about you I would concur. I also give this episode three corn dogs. Wow! I feel like sometimes you can kind of sniff out when an episode of Chuck is not going to really pack any kind of emotional weight at all. Uh-huh. Um, I'm glad that we got some answers about what's been going on inside the cool kids corner this uh-huh. whole time. And I'm glad that Team Bartowski prevailed in the end, but it didn't really feel that exciting. I did enjoy Chuck and Casey's heart to heart at the airport. I thought mm-hmm. this episode had a few good bits like... Um, Casey touching the Ronald Reagan picture and them getting the full handprint off of it and Mm. Ellie's isolation and um, Jeff's ESP might, you know, potentially being real. Um, So I felt like those things were like pretty, pretty okay. But overall, I feel like it was a pretty forgettable episode. I feel like the dog stuff kind of fell flat and was underdeveloped because I thought like, oh, we're going to see Chuck and Sarah having to take care of this dog for the Mm -hmm. rest of the episode. But then that doesn't really happen. And the dog just kind of fades into the background. Um, I really did not remember seeing this episode before, mm-hmm. but I still felt like it was kind of predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really feel that emotionally invested or surprised by anything at any point. I was just kind of like, all right, this is, this is fine. You this know, it's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is a uh, definition of a middle of the road episode here yes. for us at go check yourself. Uh, now we have the lesson of the week. Aaron, what did you learn this week? I learned that apple juice has a really high sodium content. I also learned that. <laughs> I uh, I elaborated a little bit more on it. I, I added okay. that that is just one of the many reasons that I don't really care for apple juice. I think, <laughs> I think all of the popularity and accolades and love that apple juice gets, I think it's misplaced. Okay. I think, I think it's kind of gross. There, I said it. <laughs> Do you like like a cider or just yes. no apple juice? Yes, okay. I like cider. Do you like cider? I like cider. I like okay. apple pie. I like okay. eating raw apples. Mm-hmm. Apple juice. I don't know what they do with it. I, it just doesn't. I don't like it. I don't know if I had some, maybe, maybe had too much of it as a child. And now it just kind of, it grosses me it, out. It does kind of look like urine. So that is kind of a problem. It also looks like urine. Um, um, I don't really, yeah, honestly, I feel like apple juice always kind of gave me a headache. I didn't really, like, I never really reach for it every time that I've, like, because sometimes you're at, like, a convenience store, like a Dunkin' Donuts or something, and they have, like, the juice on display, and I feel like there's been a lot of times where I've been like, ah, apple juice, I never drink that, and then I'm never really satisfied with it. Yeah, it's Um, just one of those things where it's so sugary, it just makes you thirsty. It doesn't actually quench any kind of thirst. So I, I agree with you. And now that I know, I mean, I'm sure it varies between brands and types of pressings and everything. But now that I know how much salt it's got in it, never no, thank again. You. No, yeah. I'm sure. Do you remember Juicy Juice? Of course. Okay. Just wanted to make I was sure. a child. I watched Arthur. You think I didn't <laughs> see those, <laughs> the commercials for Juicy oh, Juice? Juicy Juice. It's so, it's weird that there was just a thing named Juicy Juice. Are they still, Juicy Juice still around? You remember oh. when it was like in the cans? We would always get, like, the cans of it. Not, like, single-serving cans, but, like, big cans. Oh, the concentrate? I guess so. Oh, where you'd have to, like... You had to, like, puncture it. Oh, that might not be concentrate, then. Let's... Juicy Juice. There's a wrapper called Juicy Juice. That's cool. Juicy Fruit? Um, Juicy Juice. It's like, um... I don't know. It's just like a can. You would have to, like, get a can opener. A hundred percent juice, no sugar added. It's from Libby's, but this one's from Nestle. 
Oh my god. You mean Nestle? Yeah, I meant Nestle. Nestle? <laughs> this one's from Nestle. Uh, well, I can say with 100% confidence that this is the most boring way to close out an episode of Go Check Yourself. Talking about juice. Uh, talking about juicy juice. Everybody's, I'm sure everybody's so excited we're talking about juicy juice. Finally, we're blowing the lid off of juicy juice. <laughs> when are they going to talk about juicy juice? It's been, uh, I think, almost 90 episodes. When are they going to talk about juicy juice? <laughs> Uh, I always like telling Erin how many episodes we've done because it surprises her every time and she gets it so does. alarmed. Did I, like, did I look alarmed when you said that? Yeah, that was very much a oh, oh, oh. not like, a, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, no, very much like well, your once reaction. Again, I thought I, I would be rid of you by this point. I know I I was I thought that would be a celebratory thing 10 years, but <laughs> apparently it's a sad thing. So uh, weird choice for you to to start a podcast with me if that's how you felt. But <laughs> Um, specifically a podcast that is based it's like well we're gonna have to do all of these episodes we have to do at least like 95 episodes or 100 episodes however many there are of chuck but we're like really we're really coming close how many more do we have of season four um like six or oh god five okay, or six. So we, have, we have a ton don't, don't even worry about it we're fine i mean we don't really have a ton necessarily but it's uh yeah, we've done a lot. We've done this a lot of times is what I'm trying to we say. Have. So that means that I've said this quite a few times myself. My name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy. And my name is Erin Arata, letting you know that anything is possible. Like using... Even becoming president of your former college at uh, the age of 27 with no prior experience. That's right. And that's the attitude. Run it into the ground! Woo! I think they've been, they've been doing too well for too long. I think they've, they've just been printing money hand over Zero fist. Zero dollars tuition! That would be awesome. You could yeah. you could sell out the uh, like the Los Angeles Center. You could sell it. You could probably make a few bucks off of that. Like that's true. Yeah, it's it's right in Hollywood. Right. I'm sure, the real estate's probably good. Um, mm-hmm. You could probably get rid of a lot of courses. You could um, get rid of a lot of the dorms. Like, why not just turn it into a commuter school? Who's why you got why the kids got to live Yeah, there? we could do that. We could. Um, we. I mean, I think we should get rid of the gym. Honestly, like the. Um... Sure. All of the sports, we don't need those. No, no, these are all unnecessary costs that we don't need. Um, yeah, I think that will pretty much, oh, that should do it. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hanakoa and freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Chuck Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. But bye.